Well, good morning and welcome to yet another Automotive Hour. Got myself and Brian Terry right here, rip-roaring and ready to answer your questions. That's right. Now is a great time to call also. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. That'll get you right straight up to the top of the list, get your questions answered for you. Anything you might need to know. And you put a 225 in front of that, and you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. If you would. <laughs> hey, you got a little technical difficulty there. I think we got it going now. I believe we got it going. <laughs> and we have folks pretty much from all over the world who call in. We do. Certainly all over the United States. And we always appreciate hearing from those guys and gals and people. And, but, of course, people from Baton Rouge are our primary our tar- audience. target market, I guess you'd say. There you go. <laughs> audience. And we try to keep our content timely particularly timely to the local area right and with all the flooding and stuff we've had in this area that's created a number of issues for vehicles and i thought that we'd maybe talk a little bit about that now we've already spoke about the cars that were flooded and right. damaged in the flooding that's pretty much over with now because if you got a car that had water in it that's been three yeah going on th- three to four weeks now three weeks out it's yeah. total there's not gonna be any fixing for that so we don't want to belabor that point but a few other things that did occur to me, number one is like you brought up this morning, is it's people are trying to do the best they can right. and fix their houses up and so on. And most people, or a lot of people in this region, have a pickup truck of some sort. Yeah, and it's, it's pretty much a staple in the South. It have is. A, at least one pickup at in the family. At least one pickup in the family. Some have two. Yeah. Well, some I, people I, don't have anything but pickups. I, I've got three. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but what I have seen and noticed is I went by – one of the big box, box stores this right. morning and you'll notice people loading these trucks up with stuff for their house right we're, we're talking like drywall mm-hmm. you know a, a piece of five eighths inch thick four by eight sheet of drywall, drywall mm-hmm. weighs about 50 pounds right and you start stacking 10 or 20 of them in the back of a pickup truck You've gotten past the low capacity of most vehicles right well if you got a half ton truck you got to remember one half ton is 1,000 pounds correct and on the newer trucks, I know they make them real big. I know they put giant tires on right. them, but they really haven't increased the capacity of them that The low much. capacity. Yeah. If you start putting that much extra weight in them, right. and I've seen people with 40, 50 sheets of drywall in the right. back of the truck, and, of course, it's squatting down in the back, it's, which it's, is not good for the springs or suspension, but that's sort of the least of their problems. Yeah. Because... The truck is not designed to stop that much weight. It's not really designed to pull that much it's weight. It's not designed to pull that much weight. And things like the universal joints will get galled it with as little as one time of doing that. Mm-hmm. And I always hear the same thing. Well, well I don't I do, do it. it that often. Right. <laughs> I say, well, you know, it's kind of like if I shoot you in the chest with a thirty-eight pistol, but I only do it once. <laughs> you know, the effect is just the same. Overloaded right. is overloaded. And you can do damage to the truck that may not show up right away it may not show up for a year right and you don't when it does show up you don't contribute it back to overloading it that one time well what you've forgotten about the times that you hauled all that weight in it what you know now is that the transmission is out either a gear is broken or a clutch is slipping or whatever or rear differential starts whining and screaming and the damage was done way back when it was overloaded when it was overloaded it just didn't manifest until much later on right we're gonna talk a whole lot more about that and a whole bunch more first we go to our phone lines we got greg online good morning greg good morning got a, a 2003 toyota camry with about 298,000 miles okay a, a little a little weird thing just started happening with the left blinker 
Okay. Just noticed, you know, it was doing the accelerated right, right. in the all right, okay, well the bulb's out. Mm-hmm. Well, pop the trunk. It's working in the front. Pop the trunk. Not working in the back. Fiddle around with the bulbs and it seemed like one of them might have been just a just a notch not quite tight, you know. Okay. Just barely turning, you can feel it lock in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and then all of a sudden I get intermittent quick flashing. Um, and sometimes I started playing with it yesterday when I was coming back from Lake Charles. Within a minute, it might go back and forth between right. regular flashing and quick flashing three or four times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and, that's a relatively common problem, Greg. On the right-hand side, you've got the socket where the bulb goes in, and behind there, there's like another little piece, which is a connector and a splitter. And it's just a little plastic piece with some terminals in it. Those will generally burn up internally over the years, and then it'll start all that craziness. And when you move the bulb, you're moving it too. So it just goes ahead and temporarily makes contact. And if you look on the right-hand side, it's kind of on the inside of the trunk. You'll see it's a different little piece in there, and that's where it splits off. And it can affect the right or the left side, just depending on what terminal's burned up. But I fix an awful lot of them by changing those little things. And they're available through Toyota. I want to say it's about a $10 part. It's not real major. It's not real hard to change. But look in there and see if that little splitter on the right-hand taillight isn't bad. And you got to look real, real close because just a little bit of discoloration, a little bit of brown on the plastic or something like that is all it takes for them to start intermittently messing up like that. So it's on the right-hand side. I think it's on the right-hand side. i tell you what, if you call a Toyota dealer, parts department, they're going to know because they sell them all the time. And I'm kind of stretching my memory back, but I believe it's on the right-hand side, on the inside, and it's separate from the socket. It's a connector that's in there, and it splits the signal from side to side. So if I wanted to maybe try and and just Google that to see if I could get it. Oh, I'm sure it'll probably pop up. I'm sure you ain't the first one who's done it, you know. Exactly what I call that piece. Man, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The little piece on the side. Yeah. I think Toyota calls it a splitter, but don't hold me to that. But I think they call it a splitter or an adapter. Just type in like Toyota taillight splitter or adapter or something to that effect on Google. I'm sure it'll pop up. And like I said, if you call a Toyota dealer parts department, they'll know what you're talking about. I usually deal with Robbie over at Price, and I know when I call, he always knows what I'm talking about because apparently okay. they sell a fair number of them. All right, good deal. I appreciate it. All righty. Okay, Greg. Thanks, bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive buyer, we would love hearing from you. We were talking about overloading trucks and, uh-huh. and such as that. And not only do you get problems with the drivetrain, right. the U-joints, are one thing the brake pads are another right because once you get that much weight moving mm-hmm. then you have to stop it stop it which is overloading the capacity of the braking system you generate a lot more heat in the braking system and you may cook a set of rotors and it may not start shuttering right then but Maybe down a month road or two later, yeah, a month yeah. or two later it may start shaking shimmying shuttering when you brake Another thing is brake noise, because if you get it really hot, you kind of cook out all the lubricant and stuff on the pads, and right. then they'll start squealing. You may crystallize the pads. They'll start making noise. Noise. And... They'll start warping the rotors because the pads now harder than it used to be because it overheated. So you get those kinds of things. You can also damage wheel bearings. Mm-hmm. You can damage shock absorbers. Sure. In some cases, you could even damage a ball joint. You know, if you get enough load on enough. It, all the weight goes through the ball joint. So if you put enough additional load in there, hit a few bumps, you may internally damage it. It may not fail right then. It may fail a year down the road. But what you have done is shortened the life of it. 
Right. And speaking about shocks, mm-hmm. you get that much load in a, on a vehicle. Right. The jounce capacity of the shock has right. been diminished. So they will start bottoming out internally. They can bottom out internally, and you're just forcing a lot more pressure through the little orifices inside the shock, and it was designed for it. Right. You know, it was designed for a half ton, which is 1,000 pounds. And if you throw 3,000 pounds in there. Right. You were severely overloaded. You were quoting the weight of some things, some right. common things there. Right. You know, that, like I said, that piece of 5 eighths inch thick 4 by 8 sheet of drywall mm-hmm. weighs about 50 pounds. Right. 50, 52 pounds a sheet. Right. So, so if you stick... 10 sheets, you got 1,040 pounds. Right, 25 of them, you got 2,500 pounds, which is probably two and a half times more than the capacity. Two and a quarter of times the capacity of a truck. Correct. And I know like roofing shingles. Oh, now roofing are shingles. Very, very heavy. 60 to 80 pounds a bundle, which is right. just one little one yeah. little bundle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get a pallet of those, you get you upwards of 3,000 pounds. Yeah, easily. And those are the kind of things a lot of people wouldn't think twice about, about doing doing right you, you just you could go and you're gonna buy it you're gonna make you're gonna buy it all at one time well, they you're gonna need make this one trip much, so they don't want to have to make three trips, trips or four trips right. but i'm gonna tell you making those two or three trips is way way cheaper oh yeah than the damage you may do to your vehicle and having to repair it most definitely and most of these places will let you buy the quantity you want mm-hmm. and haul it at individual times right so you know you don't have to haul it all at once right if you had to pay someone to haul it it would be less expensive. Sure. Or rent one of their trucks and use their truck yeah, to do get, it with. Get a one and a half ton truck. Right. Designed to haul that kind of load. Go back to our phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I have a, a 97 GMC pickup with 89,000 miles on it. Okay. 5.7 liter automatic. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, shifts real hard going in from first to second. Mm-hmm. And the engine come on. And it'll it'll do it several times, and if you shut the truck off for right. two or three minutes, crank it right back up. Yeah, I'll bet right. you, David, that is generally going to occur after you've driven it a fair distance. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. like if you go to New Orleans and back, when you get to Baton Rouge, it wham real hard. Yep. What is happening, David, is that the transmission is starting to slip internally. And okay. when it starts to slip, there's two sensors, an input sensor and an output sensor. It is going to detect that slippage. And so it's going to open a part called the electronic pressure control solenoid, and it's going to boost the pressure to the clutches trying to stop the slip. Now, when it does that, the pressure gets higher and higher. It starts really slamming in the gear because it's got that real high pressure trying to prevent the slippage because it knows slippage will burn it up. When it gets to a certain point, I want to say about 25% additional pressure, it's generally going to set a code P1870, which is going to be it's reached its maximum adapt, and then that's when a check engine light will pop on. Now, when you turn the key off and recycle it, every key cycle like that is kind of like a new world to a computer. It's kind of like turning your PC off at home and rebooting. So it's going to go back to standard pressure until it starts to occur again. Driving around town, you may not drive far enough to reach maximum adapt, so you may not notice it. It's happening. It's just not happening to the same degree. Now, all that being said, I mean, the fix is going to be rebuild the transmission. And sooner or later, what's going to happen is it's going to slam in gear and break the reaction shell or break the direct drive. It's going to quit moving. So you don't want it to slam like that. It's best to go ahead and pull off, cut the key off, cycle the key each time until you can get something done with it. You may be able to nurse that thing along for a good ways before you have to rebuild the transmission. I mean, as long as you don't drive it too far, you're probably not going to experience the problem to the same degree. You could try a good service on the transmission. It's probably too little too late, but it can't possibly hurt. 
and it's got conditioner in the new fluid and stuff. If the seals are getting hard and that's why it's slipping, it can soften them up a bit. May help a little. Certainly not going to hurt. May buy you some time. Certainly it's going to have better lubricant yeah. and all that. So I would probably try a good service on it. Another thing that's going to allow you to do is that when you drop the pan, let's say there's a broken snap ring and a couple of gear teeth laying in the transmission. Well, you know, <laughs> hey, yeah. you don't want to get very far in this truck. I mean, yeah. so you get a good idea of where you stand with it. What we generally do, if you advise, you know, when you come in, if you bring it to us, I want you to tell me, hey, this is what it's doing, so I know what to look for. And I would take and cut the old filter open and look inside, and I'll bring it out and show you to show it to you. Whatever materials in that filter is going to be what's going on. Let's say the pan's pretty clean. There's really no metal in it or any of that. Well, then a service may help. You know, if it's full of metal, then you just got to make up your mind, hey, I'm just going to wait a while or, I'm going to start budgeting now or, or, hey, I don't want it to break on me, so I'm going to go ahead and do it right now. You know, whatever you might choose to do. Yeah. But you may be able to nurse it along for a while. It, it generally doesn't break right away, but you don't want to let it slam in the gear because you'll break the reaction shell. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Okay, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back with more. You just keep on listening. You'll hear a whole bunch about anything you might want to hear about. <laughs> <laughs> Phew, I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, you just joined us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And today we were talking about just stuff that can happen to a vehicle that is in our area used for flood recovery type right. stuff, right. overloading it hauling too much stuff in it, that sort of thing. And that was one of the things I wanted to address today. And of course, uh -huh. there's others as well. But, you know, if you get a, a lot of people think, well, what I'll do rather than load my truck is I'll get a trailer and right. I'll load the trailer. Well, you can easily overload a trailer also. You can overload the trailer, damage the trailer, but also the towing capacity of a truck has Correct. a limit. Sure. And you can't throw 6,000 pounds behind a half ton pickup truck for the most part and what most people don't realize is you also have not the only you have the weight of the load but, but you, you have also the have the weight of the trailer that's right and the passengers in the vehicle and right. the fuel the, in the vehicle and all that stuff adds up and it's not uncommon to see people put a fully loaded trailer and load the pickup bed sure so you may be far far beyond the capacity of that truck and while we're talking about it, one thing, I do get some email on this, and I've got an article on the website about uh -huh. the towing capacity because what I find is that the manufacturers realize towing capacity is a selling point. Right. That is one thing that sells trucks. People look at that, and the number they give you is a blue sky 
estimate. Yes, it is. In my experience, I've seen people who never towed more than the recommended capacity and still tear trucks all to pieces. Mm-hmm. My advice would be you want to be at least 30% under right. what, they're what their rating is. It could do. That's right. So let's say they rate the truck at 5,000 pounds. You want to be about 30% under that. Uh-huh. Somewhere around 3,500 pounds is the most you really want to tow with that truck if you want to not break anything or damage anything. Right. And I know they say it'll do it. I know that salesman will smile in your face oh, yeah. and tell you yeah, it'll oh, do yeah, that all, it'll, all day long. Yeah, but that's just not what we're seeing. We're seeing transmissions going out at 90, 100,000 miles on a fairly right. regular basis. Rear differentials. differentials going out. Yeah. Brakes. brakes. Oh, yeah, brakes. Going, just the brakes are blue. The, the calipers, the rotors, the calipers are burned up. It's melted the seals in them. Right. This is clearly stopping more weight than it can handle. Mm-hmm. It's just There's not designed, designed for that. And if you ever look under a truck designed for towing, if you look under one of these three-quarter ton or one-and-a-half ton trucks, you'll notice how much larger all that stuff is. The right, brake the brakes rotors, are bigger, the much, pads are bigger, thicker. The overall suspension is designed bigger to, to take care of that low capacity, mm-hmm. towing capacity. Yeah, I got a chance to look under one of those big high-water vehicles that uh-huh. the National Guard uses. And, I mean, you look at the hubs on that thing, they're about a foot in diameter. Right. And they use a mechanical seal. They don't use a rubber lip-type seal. And then there's a common vent system from the differentials to the wheels and all that that goes up, and it goes way up high in the truck. Right. And, I mean, that's what they're designed for. It is designed to go through high water. It is designed to do all those things. That's why they call it a high-water vehicle. That's right. But a standard pickup truck is not. No. I know people think because they're big and pretty because they're and tall <laughs> yeah yeah they'll go through uh anything that deeper deeper yeah no yeah they, they they really really won't most vehicles if you get water very much over about midway of the wheel right you've, you've probably done some damage right we've already started changing a lot of wheel bearings yeah wheel bearings anti-lock brake units on a chevy pickup the anti-lock brake computer is on the frame rail correct under the truck correct so it will go completely underwater before water even gets inside the truck right so if you're driving through water probably a foot and a half deep, the ABS controller is underwater. Is underwater. Right. They're, they're designed to be under the vehicle, and they are designed to resist water. They'll deal with rain. But it's not a foolproof sealed system. Well, it's kind of like I've got a cheap watch that I bought. It's water resistant. And Which what means, that means, you can wash your hands with it on. Right. You get a splash of water right. on it or but something like that. But you can't take a shower with it. And you can't go in swimming with it. It's right. not waterproof it's not designed to be submerged right and there are watches and even those i mean even if you've got a rolex with a screw down dial they don't call them waterproof no they'll say water resistant up to to 40 meters right (laughs) (laughs) they know they know the limitations there Uh uh-huh but that's the same exact thing with a car and in some cars are way way worse than others right some sit lower the air intake is down at the bottom where they can draw the cool air right the cooler air off the road right grade but that puts them in peril for uh, picking up water right and you got to remember even though the water is maybe not all that deep let's say the water six inches deep but some jerk comes flying by you and creates Creates a a wake and that wake of water rushes up and your Uh intake sucks it we have a dodge challenger right in the shop right now and they're kind of notorious for that because they have that low intake on them the intake has a reservoir to drain off Mm -hmm. water but once it overcomes well, that, it'll, it, it rain, it'll it. rain rain off. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but not a gush of water. And this one had locked up. In fact, it hydrolocked. Yeah, the guy thought maybe the starter had gone out on it because you hit the starter and just click, click, click. 
when we went to take it out, we determined the engine had been damaged. You couldn't even turn it with a pry bar. Well, when Chris pulled the intake off, I mean, it had water. Oh, the water come it running, come running out. out. Yeah. Of the intake. It was port. that full. Yeah, it just really, really got in and just wiped the engine out. And so. you know, he took and he tooled all the spark plugs out and he drained all that water off uh-huh. and you could turn it over by hand then? You could turn it, yeah. yeah. Probably bent a couple of rods. I'm sure it did. So I'm sure it did. Not anything you want to try to put back together. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so once water gets in there, it won't compress. No, it, it starts bending parts. That crankshaft keeps on pushing, so That's it's right. going to buckle something. Hey, one more quick little break. I'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. a bad dream the other night can't be worse than mine i was buried up to my neck in the desert surrounded by an army of prairie dogs and their leader rides up rides yep it's yule brenner and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn so all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece i'll never look at that halloween confectionery the same again what about you well i dreamed i forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at agco and my car left me stranded on i-10 now that's scary agco automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance get our annual general inspection you pick the month we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need which can save you costly repairs down the road that was a freaky dream were you on medication or did you eat anything strange uh yeah i actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from halloween 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Dream Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We were talking a little bit about using your pickup uh-huh. in the recovery effort and all right. that and i think we got that pretty well covered i think we made the point just be a little careful it's not that you can't use it certainly it's pickup that's what it's designed for that's what you use it for just be careful how much you put in it just be mindful of how much you load it with because there is an amount over which you will start damaging your truck may not show up right now but may show up down the road sure so just to save yourself some money don't do that right <laughs> <laughs> another thing that a lot of people are facing now in greater numbers is buying another car buying a replacement car right there was i forget how many thousands tens of thousands of vehicles that destroyed i was talking to a gentleman who works for copart which is the big company that the insurance companies bring in to handle all this because they just don't have the staff Uh to handle a disaster of this magnitude so they brought copart in and this guy was from northern virginia and right the other guy with him was from california so they bring these guys in from all over the country they said they processed 30,000 cars wow. in this area. And a that, lot of cars. Yeah, and that's in three weeks. <laughs> that is a lot of automobiles yeah, to have to 30, deal with. 30,000 vehicles that got damaged beyond repair uh-huh. are going to have to be salvaged or destroyed. or. And whatever. like you were saying, I would like to see a lot of them salvaged because there's yeah. still some good parts on them. There are a lot of good parts, and that would theoretically bring the price of replacement parts down for people because right. it's generally a supply-demand thing. If you have a lot of good, say, front caps, which Body. is the fender hood uh-huh. and all that stuff, available, generally the price will come down somewhat. Doors, right. those sorts of things can be cleaned up and reused. Sure. Now, the electronics in them are going to have to be disposed electronics of. Electronics be gone. Of course, right. more and more you can't use electronics on a vehicle onto another vehicle and salvage anyway because they're programmed to the car. They're going to be programmed the, once. The so. modules are. I'm, I'm talking about the connectors and the wiring and mm-hmm. things like that. They're inside the doors right. or inside the pieces. Best to you just, just assume discard that and use your that. original stuff. 
if you're going to try to replace the That's door right. of any kind. A lot of these did have good motors in them. Water didn't get in the motor. It just got into the interior. Right. Anything on the interior is done sure. because it's got sure. mold in it now, and it's just not safe to be around that stuff. And I wouldn't even want to try to consider using any of the air conditioning stuff either no. because that mold has started to grow right inside those vents and everything. And no matter what you do to the inside of the vehicle, you may look at, having a mold issue later yeah, i would probably just discard anything that was internal to the sure. cabin of the vehicle because that's where your problems are going to be the external stuff i mean a piece of sheet metal even if it's got some mold on you probably pressure it wash off. it right you know, it's, it's not like it's going to soak into the pores of the metal or anything Correct. like that so those sorts of things are good suspension components some are going to be good some are going to have water in them uh-huh. i would be a little remiss to buy a bearing or maybe even a ball joint where water may have gotten in and rusted it uh-huh but the control arm itself sure. is it's still just a good. Piece of even, steel. even if you have to press the ball joint out press a new one in, even the bushings would probably still be just fine. Certainly the steering knuckles, those sorts of things will still be good. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of good components, and you don't want to just throw that stuff away and put it in a landfill. Right. You want to recycle it and put it back to use if you can. Even a lot of the electrical components like the starters and the alternators may have been damaged by the water, but they could probably still be rebuilt. Yeah. So they may, they may sell those out to the rebuilders as cores. Right. And even a transmission could possibly be rebuilt. I wouldn't trust one that had had water no. in it. It's certainly not going to be usable again. But the motors and the transmissions that did get some amount of water in them may be able to be rebuilt. So they would go out as cores to the folks who rebuild those sorts of things. Right. And even if the core, let's say the engine is damaged beyond repair, there are still components on the engine. Right. That well, may be, and maybe like you were saying, internal components. Right. The pistons, the piston rods. I mean, all that stuff has to be checked and resized. Right. But a re- that's what a rebuilder does. That's correct. And something like a cylinder head may still be just fine. Sure. Let's say the engine bent a rod and gouged up the crankshaft. Well, the lower end of the engine is pretty it's, much kaput at that point. But the cylinder heads are still fine. Sure. So you take those off those. and you can and recycle them. Rework or... those cylinder heads, put them back into use. So, yeah, there's, there's lots and lots of components. So hopefully or theoretically the price of used stuff could come down a bit because mm-hmm. we're putting a lot of them out there. But who knows? We'll just have to see what happens. Listen to the news the other day, and they said all the antique cars uh-huh. are able to be bought back from the insurance company. Yeah, because those can generally be reconstructed if you're willing to gut out all the interior and maybe gut out the wiring harness. Right. But that was a fairly simple affair. Yeah, it's not on a big, an older car. It's not a big deal on, on an older car. Uh, you don't antique have car. You don't hardly have any electronics to speak of in an '85 or older vehicle. Yeah, well, and that ain't old to me. <laughs> well, you know they, they're talking. Fifty-five is old to okay. me. Okay, all right. But I remember a fifty-five Chevrolet. The main wiring harness under the dash was not as big as my little finger. Yeah, it, it was nothing. It wasn't running hardly anything. No. I mean, you had the gauge set. If you had a radio. If you had a heater. Even. If you even had a heater in back in 55. That's right. And that was an option. I remember we would, on our 55 to 57 Chevrolets, it wasn't at all uncommon. We would just go and buy wire in the right colors, a uh-huh. couple of rolls of tape, and make our own wiring harness. Sure. Man, you wouldn't even begin to imagine to do that these oh, days. No. I mean, no. you got a wiring harness big around as my forearm, and would literally the wires are probably one-third the size of those ones in that 55 Chevrolet, and it's still that big. Yeah. I mean, just the harness going into the door might be as big as my wrist. Uh-huh. You know, just a big chunk of wires, and they've got all kinds of little diodes and this and that. And oh, yeah, there's all kind of stuff in there that you don't and, know about. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something. Really not something the average person would want to try to attack himself, no. I'm sure. But 
getting back to the topic we were meaning to discuss is when you have to go and buy a replacement car, many, many people are going to see the wisdom of buying a used car. Sure. As opposed to going buy a new one. The new car, the biggest disadvantage there is the price. Mm-hmm. Cars are probably twenty-five to $50,000. Depending on what average. you buy. Yeah, that's, that's average kind of car. Sure. I mean, you want something nice, you may be up eighty, ninety, even $100,000. Right. I've seen a lot of them that go over $100,000 now. Now, yeah. Never, never thought I'd live to see today. I know, right? I guess I have. But you may see the wisdom of buying a used car. And used cars, in my estimation, the best used car to buy is something about three years old. Okay. That's kind of the peak. Now, if you, you want to save a little more money, you can go with a four- or five-year-old one. The reason I say three years is that at three years, it's hit maximum depreciation. In other words, they depreciate very, very rapidly in the first, first three years. Right. After that, it sort of levels off. And I know I'm going to be wrong with these numbers, but I'm going to just throw them out there. But it used to be that in the first year, it would lose about 30% of its value. Okay. Second year, about 25% of its value. And in the third year, somewhere around 20% of its value. So if you add all that up, you're way over half the price of the car is gone in the first three years. Mm-hmm. Now, after that, it levels off to around 10% per year, and it eventually goes down to like 5% per year. So the further you go out, the less the savings is going to be. And that's not the only thing. Let's say when you buy a used car, you don't know how the other person has maintained that car. Right. A car three years old really doesn't have a lot of maintenance requirements. So if he did nothing more than just change the oil in it, then the car would probably still not be harmed at that point. Uh-huh. It's still a good salvageable car. Now, unless it's got 200,000 miles and it's three years old and, right. and nothing's been done. Most it, of your three-year-old cars are going to have anywhere between 36 and 45, yeah, 50,000 50, miles 60,000 miles. And it's really not due for a tremendous amount of maintenance not at, at that, that point. mileage. It just is not a lot of things that go wrong. More modern cars, they're designed to go about three years with hardly any maintenance at all. So that's why I've always concerned that your best buy is a three-year-old car. And that's a general rule. Right. You, know, you may find one two and a half years, which is exactly what you want. You may find one four years, which is exactly what you want. And that's great. You're somewhere around three years is going to be the best value for the money. Correct. And when you buy that car, we always advocate having a professional do an inspection before you purchase the car. Before you purchase. That's the key word. Before that's right. you purchase the vehicle, have it checked out. Well, and what will happen a lot of times on a test drive, you may notice a problem. Uh-huh. And salesmen being what salesmen are, oh, we'll take care of that. We'll take care of Well, just a great big, big tip. Don't buy the car. Say, tell you what, you go take care of that. I'll come back and drive it. When it's fixed, I'll buy it. Uh-huh. Because people tend to promise you the world when they want you to sign on dotted line. Correct. I'm going to tell you from ultimate experience of 46 years of working on cars, once they have got your check. Right. They pretty much done. They are a whole lot less likely <laughs> to, to deal do with anything. Yeah. They just, they don't even know your name the next day, uh-huh. you know, but the thing is you want to get all that stuff taken care of up front. Now, when you decide on cars, you're going to look at a lot of cars. Right. There are certain things you can look at yourself and say, this is not the one I want. This is not the one for me. Because it costs money to have every vehicle checked. Sure. And every shop bills the way they see fit for that. At Agco, we bill by the time spent on the car. Right. So if you bring us a car that's been hit in the front and the back, 
we're going to spend five or ten minutes on right. it. That's what we're going to charge you. Well, what I'm looking for is a reason for you not, not. to buy this car. Correct. That's, that's how I'm approaching this entire thing. I'm looking for a reason not to buy the car. So, ironically, the better the car is, the, the longer, longer I'm going to spend on it. Sure. I yeah. may spend up to a full hour on a nice, clean car. A car with a major problem, I'm probably going to find that in 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And that's all I'm going to charge you for is sure. the time I spend. In other words, if I put the car up and I smell an odor and I see a bunch of twigs and stuff stuck in the suspension, I pull up the carpet and it's got leaves and all under the carpet. We're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. Right. You know this one's been this underwater. This is a flood car. This is not anything you want to buy. Right. Another thing would be if we put the car up and it's been seriously wrecked, mm -hmm. damaged, and poorly repaired. No use checking any further. Just, just stop right there. I know we have had cars where we'll pull them up, and when we drive, test drive the car, we can feel the transmission slip, and you pull a dipstick, and the fluid is black as tar. Right. Is there really a lot of point in, in going, going any farther? Yeah. It, do you really want me to spend a full hour looking for other things? Looking when we know for other things. We got a, a twenty-five to three thousand dollar yeah, repair. Maybe here. up to a four thousand dollar problem here. This is not a car you want to buy. Correct. Go ahead and get something without a problem. So we're going to talk a whole lot more about that when we're back right after this break. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at Agco Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got a lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go and give us calls, 291-6901. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning, Lewis. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great, sir. Doing great. Great. I was listening to the podcast, and I heard you talking about the 2000 to 2006 5.3s that were having the trouble with the coolant leaking into the block. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Still heads cracking. Yep, and I've got a 02 Suburban and 05 Tahoe. Mm -hmm. uh, the Suburban's got 180000 and the Tahoe's got 120000 Okay. If I haven't noticed that coolant leaking by now, do you think I'm safe? Probably or are, likely. To... Probably are, David. And i got to say, man, I have seen an awful lot of those. We got a rash of those a while back, and I'm not really seeing too many of them anymore. I'm going to put you on hold here, if you don't mind. I'm getting a bunch of background noise. There we go. We really haven't seen it too much lately but not every vehicle is affected a lot of them may not ever have the trouble right generally we see that problem show up around a hundred thousand between a hundred and 130 yeah 120 somewhere in there is where it usually because it has to heat cool heat cool enough times and where they crack is right around where the head bolt is it's not a crack in the combustion chamber area. it cracks on the head bolt area 
in the oil section under the valve cover. And many, many trucks never have the problem. So if you have gotten up that many miles on it, not had a problem. If you're not adding coolant. Yeah. I would Chances are you'll yeah. be fine. And worst case scenario, David, I mean, just keep an eye on your coolant level and you'll know pretty fast if you start losing coolant that that's a problem. Check yeah. for it and just don't let it go on. Check so. it. Same time, every day, same temperature. Right. So that way you can get a constant level. So. Great. All right. All right. All right. Uh, I think dropped him. Yep. <laughs> All right. Appreciate you, call, man. All right. Going back to phone lines, we got Jeff online. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I'm wearing, I've got a 2011 GMC pickup truck. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've started having a light come on, and every time I kill it, then it goes off, but then it'll come back on. Right. What's okay. the uh, Service traction control yes, and yeah. ABS. Right. right. Well, see, trash control and ABS are very similar. They both share a lot of the same components. They basically do the same thing in an opposite approach. And what I mean by that, what ABS does, it watches the four wheels, and it wants them all to turn the same speed. When one wheel turns slower than the other three, it assumes that wheel is locked up, so it pulses the brake to that wheel. Traction control works exactly the opposite. It watches the four wheel, and if one wheel turns faster than the other three, it thinks the wheel is slipping, so it's going to do certain things. What's happening is that you've got a fault somewhere in that system, which could be any one of about 500 different things. The way that works is sort of like you check engine light, only it doesn't go through the power control module. It goes through the chassis control module. So you have to have a GM-equivalent type scan tool to retrieve those codes, but same as checking a check engine light. You go in, retrieve the code. That'll tell you the area with the problem. Then you go in and pen test and find what component is bad. And then once you do that, you fix the problem. So each time you cycle the ignition, it's going to put it into history and it's going to clear the current memory. So the light will go off until it occurs again. Hadn't gone away. It's just, it's just not right. occurring. And it doesn't execute every test and every drive cycle. So you may drive it once and it won't come on. The next time you drive it, it comes on. So it appears to be random to you, but it's not. It's just it has a bunch of tests, 500 or so tests to run. It's got a logic that it runs. It can't run every one on every drive cycle. So if you don't drive it far enough or just not doing that test at that time, the light may not come on. It'll just come on next time you drive it. But it's got a fault in the system, so you just have to go in and get it diagnosed and then repair the fault and the problem will be resolved. Whoop. I think I we lost him. I think we did. <laughs> hey, we're going back to the phone lines. John, good morning, John. Hi, it's John from Toronto, Canada calling. Hey, John, hey. how are you this morning? Good. How are you, fellas? Great, Doing man. Great. Good, good. A question: Purchasing a, an auxiliary uh, booster uh, for to put in the trunk if uh, you lose your battery. Have yes, you sir. got any recommendations as to how big or whether these? I know there's some small ones that have quite a jolt, but I don't know how long they would last and how good they'd be in in severe weather, like cold weather here. <laughs> yeah, the ones we use, I guess we use maybe a medium size one. We don't have the biggest one, but we don't have the smallest one. We use it all day long, but we charge it a lot, too. Yeah, we keep recharging ours because we're using it pretty much all day long. But I tell you, John, the vast majority of those I've seen work yeah. just fine. They'll all do the same job. You don't want too, too big because it would probably take longer to recharge. So I would say one of them in the mid-range, it's average sufficient. size, should be more than sufficient to do what you want to do. Even the smallest ones will crank the car. Right. Just if you want to get a little extra capacity, maybe go one step up from the smallest one. Yeah, I had the small or have the smallest one, mm-hmm. and it didn't boost for me one time. I had to use the car battery, which I don't like doing. As right. You know, it can cause electrical problems. Mm-hmm. So 
I my friend of mine, we got the next size up for her, but somebody asked me the other day about it, and I said, oh, i got to talk to Lou and find it. What yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah. I don't want the very biggest one because it's going to take longer to charge up, longer to recover and all that. So well, the thing about it, too, is you got to keep a maintenance on it. you got to make sure it's charged every time you get ready to use it right. because as it sits, it's going to discharge, discharge just from sitting. Well, and it's cost, well, got- you, cost you more money also. Right. Yeah. Well, I have on my uh, iPhone a, a reminder once a month to charge it. Oh, okay, oh, that's great. That's great. Because I know I forget it, and then you're sitting in the trunk, and it's, and it's well. Just, you, you're going to figure yeah. out that it's dead right at the worst possible time. And oh, know yeah. that. <laughs> in the middle of a snowstorm on the side of the interstate or some back road somewhere. That's right. <laughs> Quick, how's Foxy doing? Oh, doing great. Doing great. That's good. All right. Well, I'll let you go. Thanks, guys. All right, John. All right, thank you. Thanks, man. Bye bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. And let's see how many of these calls we can All catch. Right. We have Neil online. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Mr. Lewis. Yes, I sir. guess I should ask how Miss Elizabeth is doing in Miss Elaine. Doing great, man. <laughs> friend of mine purchased a 2000 GMC three-quarter ton truck. Mm-hmm. I noticed that it was sitting very low, suggested you air the tires up. Okay. We aired the tires up. Those tires read maximum 80, 80 pounds. pounds. Correct. On that them. is a load E tire. Yeah. They're old tires, but they, they still work. Mm-hmm. The door post says 42 front, 73 rear. Correct. Uh-huh. That's Are those cool. the right tires for that truck, and should they Probably be? so, yeah. See, what they got to do, because the truck is rated at three-quarter ton, they have to specify enough air to carry that much weight. Now, it never truck, carries that weight yeah, anymore. If the truck is unloaded, you could probably come down some. I wouldn't go down to 20 pounds in them. But, no. I mean, you could probably run less air in them. You could probably get by, what, 50? 50 yeah, ish. 50, 60 pounds. I mean, if they right. don't look under That's exactly the pressure I put in. Yeah, them. if right. they don't look underinflated, you'll be okay. The number they have to give, because the world being what it is, they have to give you a, a number that will support the amount of weight the truck is capable of carrying. And that's why the front and rear are two different ratings. Right, because the rear is going to carry more weight than the front. Right. So just in abundance of safety, they are trying to give you the the maximum that it would take to carry the amount of load the truck could carry. Now, the the correct size for for that truck... The size tire should be on that same place card where you found the air pressure. Right. It should say... And they, they do match. Yeah, okay. they, they match. Okay. And then it'll, it'll the right. give you the rating also. It'll yes. be like a D, either an E or a D rating. Right. D is going to be 8-ply. E will be 10-ply. I understand. All righty. Gentlemen, thank you. Good You're morning. welcome. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. And make sure I pronounce your name, right? Is it Tigan? Uh, Tegan. Tegan, okay. Tegan. I'm sorry. Hey, guys. All right, quick and simple, electric superchargers, junk, or will they produce boost? I'll go ahead and hang up and, and listen to your answer. Okay, I'm not, I'm not sure. The electric superchargers? Yeah, they got I, kits on eBay for four or 500 bucks. Really? Not seen one. No. Uh, all the ones I've ever seen were driven you know, off of a belt of some sort. I'm right. sure it could probably be done. I don't see any reason got, it couldn't be done. They got videos on the uh, on YouTube with the dynos saying mm-hmm. Produce 20, 25 more. I bet it would because see, a supercharger forces more fuel and air into the engine. So when it compresses, it effectively raises your compression ratio. And you have to make sure the bottom end is up to that. Right. If some cars are kind of marginal, you could end up blowing the bottom end out of it. But, you know, I would probably limit the boost. I wouldn't go for the maximum horsepower. I have not seen one, Tegan, but I'm sure it could be done, especially with the advances they've made in electric motors these days. I'm, I'm more than sure there's probably an electric motor that could do that. All right, guys. Thank you. Check them out. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 
All right, 291-6901 is the number, and we've got Jenny online. Good morning, Jenny. I think we lost Jimmy. We've got Greg online. Good morning, Greg. How you doing, man? Good, great. Good. This is your buddy. 2004-2003 expedition. Mm-hmm. Not doing anything. No lights, no nothing. So okay. When you turn so the key, you when you turn the key, does absolutely nothing. Right. Nothing. Well, no, no lights, it's no got nothing. A brand new, got a brand new battery yeah. in it. Yeah. yeah. Was it doing anything before you put the new battery in it? The other day she was driving, uh-huh. and it's like it killed for a split second, came back home. Mm-hmm. And then you put the new battery? That was with the new battery. With the new battery. Because okay. it was working with the new battery, and then now it's gone down. What I would suspect, first off, Greg, make sure the new battery's not dead. Because if it is dead, then you've got some kind of a parasitic draw, which is something that's staying on when it shouldn't stay on, which will right. kill the battery. Or maybe an alternator that's not charging the battery. But most right. time, when a new battery goes dead that fast, something that's is staying on in the vehicle that shouldn't, and it'll suck that battery right down. I've even seen right. an alternator do that. An alternator can go bad. It'll discharge back through the alternator when you turn the key off, and it'll kill it pretty fast. So I would take the battery out, have it tested, and if the battery is dead, I'd be looking for that. If the battery is still good, I'd be looking for something like a bad cable, maybe the power center, the main power feed to the cable, the cable that goes to the power center, bad connection there. But you right. know if the battery's dead or not first. All righty. Tell you what, we are losing all of I'm our telling powers you. here. Let's see. We're going to try to catch One more. Jenny. Uh, right. Jerry, hey, can you, can you make it real quick? Yes, sir, I can. Right. I've got a 2008 Ford F-250 mm-hmm. gas. Okay. V8 in it, okay? First year I had it, I didn't have any problems filling it up, all right? Mm-hmm. Now, and then this happened about, about a year after I got it and I bought it used, mm-hmm. I can't get more than a gallon at a time, yeah, most yeah. of the time less than that. Yeah, almost every time, Jerry, off. that's going to be a problem in the evaporative emission system on the vehicle. Oh. And okay. there are several parts in there that can do that. One is what they call a vent solenoid. Another one's called a purge solenoid. And the other one is what they call a charcoal canister. And okay. the way you could maybe try to isolate that yourself, if you can go and find the charcoal canister, which would be a big plastic box, a black plastic box, unplug okay. the hose off the top of it temporarily and see if you can fill it. If you can, then that canister's probably plugged up. That's going to throw a check engine light when you unplug it, but at least as a test procedure, you could do that. If you unplug that and it still won't work, it's going to be one of the solenoids, which unless you're real handy, maybe a little over your head to diagnose. You could take them off, put a 12-volt current to them, and see if they open, see if you can blow through them and all that sort of thing. But it's going to be something in that evaporative emission system. All right. Sounds good. Thank all right. you. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. All right. I tell you, we are just about totally out of time. We're going to start winding it on up and get on out of here. Got all our callers answered today. That's right. We snuck them all in there. <laughs> Hey, tell everybody how much appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to the written review and fill it out for us. That's right. If you give us a written review, then that will we'll move up in the ratings. And so when people type in auto repair, we'll come up close to the top of the list. More people listen, and we can keep on doing the show. That's where we want to be. That's right. They won't boot us out of here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.